This is the Mod Pod, brought to you by Modality, helping businesses optimize their Microsoft technologies everywhere. Hello and welcome to episode 21 of the Mod Pod. This is the last episode uh, this side of uh, 2122. Uh, so we will be back in January when we pick this up again. Uh, but today we have two topics uh, rather than the usual three. We are going to talk about the quiet people in the meeting room and we're going to talk about imposter syndrome, uh, which is seemingly more common than people let on. So we are joined by uh, Rich Tolley, who is Solution Architect, and Sophie Todd, who is Bid Manager. Say hello, folks. Hello. Hello. Yeah, keep your mic down. That really, really helps, Rich. I was just keeping quiet. Oh, okay, fair <laughs> enough. It's a quiet one in the meeting. Yeah, yeah. I don't think anybody said that about you. Anyway, <laughs> right. Let's crack on with topic one. Hi, all. The topic that I wanted to talk about today was the quiet people in the room. So what do we think? Are the loudest people in that meeting necessarily the brightest? Or should we watch out for those quiet note takers? What do people think? Well, bearing in mind that Rich has just declared himself to be the quiet one, which <laughs> I'm, I'm not entirely sure of. But anyway, not that I'm casting aspersions. People can draw their own no. conclusions. Yeah, um, yeah uh, uh, it's interesting, that one, because I would put myself genuinely as a quiet one. Yeah. in the room I listen a lot um but uh it brings with it I guess some challenges because you know I, I my role I tend to talk an awful lot with you know salespeople around and account directors who typically I guess are much more vocal it's the nature of their job it's what they do they're there to be confident and open doors and have those conversations to start with so they are generally quite vocal but for me when I listen and I make judgments and I you know work out what's going on when I come to actually say something I have to try and create space for me to talk yeah and that's the challenge isn't it yeah and do you when you are ready to speak have you created when you've been listening do, are you thinking about the next thing to say or do you let that sink in and then try and make a space for you to speak and then speak? How does it work? Um, oh, blimey, this is like an interview, isn't it? <laughs> um, um, I don't know, miss. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, I I was given a, a, a very good tip, um, I don't know, probably about eight, nine years ago, whatever it was, um, which only really applies to, to, to physical meetings. You can't apply it in sort of virtual meetings but you're right there is a difference between waiting to speak and um planning out what your your response is and i don't think i do the the planning out too much but um if you're in a physical meeting one thing i was saying <laughs> if you're listening just on audio this is going to be no use to you whatsoever but um you know I've, i have a glass on the desk and quite often in meetings you have something like a glass or a you know or a, a phone or you know whatever it is you can use that to basically if you just sort of move it push it 
people's eyes will instantly draw down to what you're doing with your hands. Mm -hmm. And it creates a tiny little gap for you to get in. That's a really good idea. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it's like, you know, when you explain it to people and they go, yeah, you move something around and it creates this little gap. And you go like this and you move it and they look down and they look at it and you've created the, the gap. It's almost like there's a human nature of you can't, you just can't not look at what they're doing. What are they doing? Um, so I think there are tips and tricks to help the quiet people in the room um, get that natural gap. Because as a quiet person, one thing you don't do is want to raise your voice. Because then you end up in this escalating, getting louder and louder type thing, which goes against. Um, I think from my side, if you if you try and sit back and think about your answer too much, you lose the point of the conversation where it becomes relevant. So you have to listen, but then find your gap very quickly afterwards. I don't think you can sit there and plan what the next thing is. Yeah, yeah. I'll bring the flip side of the story because I'm definitely not one of the quiet ones uh, in a meeting. Uh, not, not like I said a little bit earlier, but um, I tend to get very excited on calls, especially with clients and customers and stuff. So when we're talking about the technology, uh, I get very enthused and it's quite difficult to shut me up. I have to check myself and basically allow time for, for responses to come. And I know this is a little bit slightly off topic and going off a, a different tangent but one of the best tips that i ever had as as a speaker and a hoster of of workshops and and, and customer engagements was from one of my colleagues who said don't be afraid of the silence he said when you ask a question don't be afraid to leave 10 seconds worth of silence before you get a response or prompt for a response especially in remote working conditions when we were all together in a meeting room together and having a chat you know people you, you could physically see them wanting to to engage and, and wanting to have a shout sometimes you can actually physically make that break in the conversation and say do you want to ask something but in remote working conditions you know if people have got video on sometimes it can give you that opportunity you've obviously got the hands up functioning teams stuff like that but you know nine times out of ten I'm joining a lot of calls where the 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 end users the, the clients the other organization on the other end don't have their video turned on it's not something that's in their culture so again you're just spouting words at a computer screen so you physically have to check yourself and, and allow time for people to speak which is something that i've had to be very conscious of because i will just ramble off until the end of the world and, and keep going and then that's it we're out of time but yeah that's just my sort of two penneth worth really yeah I mean, I've so I've I've done sort of presentations before uh, with very vocal audiences, and rightly or wrongly, right at the very beginning, I've put up a slide, uh, and it said nobody ever learned anything whilst they were talking. Um, to just sort of set the tone, it's like I just want to explain this to you. Yeah, I'd like you to listen. Questions are cool. I've got no problem with questions. Yes. But I think, you know, if, if you are that sort of person and, you know, um, people on the SLT calls will back this up, I sit and listen and then I tend to come out with something which is hopefully of value rather than just filling time with words. Yeah. Um, so I, I think the quiet people in the room 
have to be given the opportunity to speak. And I think the more vocal people definitely need to be aware that intelligence is not related to the amount you speak or the volume you speak at. Yeah. yeah. I also is, think that, is that diplomatic enough? No, definitely. <laughs> I think the important thing is when you do speak as um, one of the more reserved people in the room, the idea is to speak with as few words as possible, make your point. Um, and then once you've said what you need to say in the shortest amount of time possible, you, you know when to stop. So knowing when not to talk, I think, is an art. Um, yeah. If you can learn to shut up at those right times, you have the ability to hear the unspoken people and you can hear what's not being said, which I think is often very important. Are you one of the quiet ones? Um, I would say I like to think I know when to speak, so I won't fight anyone. That's a good answer, isn't it? That's I don't, a good answer. I refuse to fight anyone to speak. If you want to speak over me, literally do it. But if you want me to help you, and you want me to get the best out of a meeting, I will listen, I will listen to what everybody's speaking. I will make notes so that I know what to come back to, um, which is another another point, actually. Um, making notes, I think, is a, a sign of respect. It's a, it, it's a sign that you're listening. Um, not to take a script of what people are saying, but pertinent points that you want to come back to. Um, I always make notes, I always have. A pen and paper, which often people laugh at me for, but um, I think it's the best way to do it. Um, so to your question, I think I am one of the more quiet ones, but I think um, in an assertive way. Um, I make sure that everything I have to say gets said um, in the right way and at the right times. OK, and do we think that and you, you mentioned it earlier on, Rich, the whole uh, raising hands feature in uh you know in in teams is making things more comfortable for quiet ones as being one of the loud ones i think it does personally i think it does i mean you know it, it all depends on your, your presentation style if you're obviously hosting the, the call or whatever it might be but i mean whenever i go into a workshop type scenario you know i just set those expectations straight off the bat you know ask questions whenever you feel just shout up raise your hand in teams whatever it might be um I, i'm not here to to talk for the full time i'm prompting you know investigatory investigatory questions you know so mm -hmm. to, to get those answers from the people i'm on the call with so you know it's it can be difficult when you've got a room full of quiet people um but just allowing them the freedom to know that we are in a safe place. You can have a, a chat and, and give me your honest feedback. But again, something Sophie said as well was about the note taking. Mm. If it's a discovery session and I'm there to ask questions and get answers, you know, I will call out at the start of the call. Don't worry if I go quiet for five, 10 seconds after someone's been speaking, I'm just taking my notes. And I'll reiterate that as we go through the call. Don't worry, guys, I'm just taking notes. My microphone's not broken. Just, you know, daft little things like that. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I do think there's an art to it. You know, I mean, I, I even though I am quite loud on calls and I do tend to talk quite a lot, um, I'm quite submissive. So if someone does begin to talk and talk over me, I'll apologize. I'll give them the time and, and allow them to say their piece. I'm not very confrontational. You know what I mean? When conversations might get heated or whatever 
I tend to just let them say their piece and then I'll go, yeah, jobs are good and happy days, whether it's pertinent or not, you know, and, and carry on with the remainder of the call. So and but do I do you think... think no, I was going to say, do, do, yeah, I'm just going to talk over you now. Um, <laughs> but do we think that the way that the virtual meetings, forget the raising of the hand and, and, mm. and things like that, just the way that virtual meetings happen compared to physical meetings, I get the impression that quieter people feel a little bit more comfortable being almost not physically in the same room so there's a i guess any sort of challenge around airtime and stuff like that it, it's a little less threatening is is that a fair, fair point yeah i think so i think people with that demeanor often feel more comfortable behind the screen um but i think if they are given the ability to sit in a room you're not going to speak over somebody when they're literally sat there, are you? But it's we have all had it when three people start to speak in a meeting on Teams and everyone goes, oh, uh, do you know what I mean? So that's when those kind of people get cut out, um, I think. But I'm not necessarily talking about the really timid people in the room. I'm talking about the, the smart people in the room, but not the people who are shouting over everyone. So... Yeah. They're smart. They have the ability to speak if they want to. They're not necessarily a an introverted or quiet person. They just know when to speak. Um, yeah. And I think those people still get the ability to speak on Teams. I don't think um, it necessarily stops them. But I think they do have to wait a lot for the waffle to go before they can make their point. And I think that is sometimes a lot harder on Teams, um, as but you said. There's also, I guess there's also another angle to this. Um, if you've invited someone who is quieter to a meeting, you've invited them for a reason. Yeah. So the person hosting the meeting, or the person who invited that or forwarded that invite on, it feels to me a little bit like there's almost a responsibility on them to yeah. say, what do you think? A level give, of consciousness. To give them that airtime yeah. yeah. if they're struggling to or, or, or nervous about sort of to break in. Yeah, I'd agree with you on that, mate. I mean, you know, obviously for those more timid individuals as well, uh, I know that wasn't mainly sort of so like, like point, Sophie but, and me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's also the chat functionality. You know, so yeah, if we're in actual yeah. teams meeting and they can't get a word in edgeways, you know, it'll be a case of just bang it in the chat. And then hopefully if you're a, a good session host, you'll spot that and then you can readdress it. So, you so know, in, I do a, think, in a physical meeting, you hand around a piece of paper to everyone yeah. and say, can I say something? That's it. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's the really good thing about teams and its functionality is that chat function. So yeah. if a meeting with a lot of a big meeting with a lot of people on it it gives people the opportunity just to ask maybe more menial questions questions they don't want the, they don't need to take the airtime of mm. the uh, people hosting the meeting so that is a really nice function and would probably get missed in real life those questions probably wouldn't get asked yeah yeah okay so it doesn't it's not really a problem then that we have all these various you know different types of people because that's that's what makes 
things work, right? You bring different skills to the table. You have different, but it as a quiet person, you know, I think it's there's an onus on the quiet person to find what works for them to create their airtime. But as a host of a meeting, you have a responsibility to potentially keep the noisy ones in check mm-hmm. and make sure that the people who have been invited to this for a reason get that airtime. Because to be honest, yeah. if you're invited to it and you're quiet and nobody's invited you for any particular valid reason, what on earth are you in the meeting for? Yeah. 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 How do you feel about people coming to you with affirmative questions? So um, if I understood you correctly, this is what I took from what you spoke about. So it so it delivers that you've been listening and you understand what someone's spoken about. Would you receive those kind of questions well in a meeting? Oh, I'd, I would always rather somebody double check something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Don't go away with an assumption or a, well, <laughs> I think they meant that. Yeah. Yeah. There's no point for the sake of just asking. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, and it shows they've been listening. It shows that the what they've taken from the meeting is correct. I think it's really valuable for people to do things like that. I think that's that's the, it's, it's the main thing there, Sophie, is that have they been listening? You know, if you are actually a targeted attendee of this meeting and you're someone this meeting was the sole purpose to either get information out of or you've got a task to take away from it, it like Pete said, it's always best to follow up and say, you know, is that all understood? Is that OK? Is that a correct assumption? Whatever it might be. Nine times out of ten, whenever I've been on a, a lot of meetings recently, whenever that person gets asked that question, they turn and go, oh, apologies, I was just answering an email or whatever. So that's the downside of the, the remote meetings, especially when you haven't got video on. Again, I keep on talking about video. Maybe we should have done that's a session important. on that. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, you know, if you've not got your video on, you can be doing whatever, sat down on your phone, whatever, you know, make sure that that person who's going to be taking that objective away, that task away, they've had an actual input on it. Have they actually been listening? Call it out. Ask the bloody question. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't particularly miss physical media. I, I, I miss getting together with people to talk about stuff, but I don't think I miss the repeated physical Meeting. Back to back all day, sat in a room. Yeah. Yeah. I do think it is somewhat more efficient on teams. I think people do kind of get to the point better on teams. Um, instead of, as you say, sat in a room, you're able to go somewhere, you meant you're able to break and go for lunch and come yeah. back. Sometimes it's a little bit tedious sat all day in an office room, isn't it? I, I miss going to New York for a meeting. Uh, I miss that. <laughs> Um, but the the only thing I miss is my art skills. Uh, I'm much better with a pen and a, a board than I am with the uh, whiteboard on Teams. <laughs> have you got yourself a digipad though? I haven't. That's oh, my own fault then, isn't no. it, mate? I'm, I'm hey, putting hey. in an expense claim oh, <laughs> at the, Christmas oh, time. The, oh, the Christmas is coming. Ask for him. <laughs> it's not too late. Um, no, but they're quite they're quite useful actually. So so I've got one. I don't I don't use it a huge, huge amount now, but I did when I was in pre-sales. And it just allowed you to do that whiteboard session with a pen and a marker. You're just drawing it out, and it it actually works relatively well. Yeah. But yeah. trying to do it with your maths <laughs> is just impossible. I, I, I don't miss the, the meetings per se. I, I miss the interaction. 
yeah that's that's literally it but if you took me straight back to you know 2018 where it was meeting after meeting after meeting constantly on site and stuff i'd say nah you're all right thank you where's covid gone <laughs> controversial yeah. Ooh, but yeah okay <laughs> and, and on that note uh, <laughs> signing off with covid's been a great thing thanks very much mm. <laughs> you might be on the minority there um <laughs> i suggest we move on to to topic number two but um yeah i think summary right yes yeah quiet people are no less intelligent um either give them the space to talk or show them ways to find space to talk but yeah I enjoyed that. right should we go for topic two then the topic that i wanted to have a chinwag about today was imposter syndrome um and sorry who are you exactly yeah uh and does it affect more people than we actually think it do especially as someone who suffers with imposter syndrome um i mean i wanted to start by basically just saying you know i think as someone with imposter syndrome hearing and speaking and finding out that other people suffer with these types of problems i actually think is one of the 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 best things that I've had to actually help me deal with my own imposter syndrome to know that I'm not on my own on this um you know it's something that I've spoken about at different events during my time at Modality and it's something that as I've got older I've actually found it easier to talk about um but yeah I'm just wanted to get your guys take on on imposter syndrome in the industry your own personal experience with it and um what recommendations you could possibly make to people that might suffer with imposter syndrome Ooh. it is an interesting one isn't it because it's it basically comes down to uh, probably what a, a lack of self-belief yeah and how do you get round how do you get around that okay so as a, as you know we've got our team we've got however many people in it um and from where i sit they're all brilliant every single one in the team i've got a phenomenal team and i'm super happy with it yeah but i know from conversations not just with you that there are quite a few people who have imposter syndrome and it's really difficult because you're sitting there going yeah but you're bloody brilliant but in your head you're sitting there going i don't know i'm getting away with this (laughs) (laughs) i'm I'm gonna get found out any minute now they're gonna suddenly realize after how long have you been here five years nearly yeah but yeah we're gonna suddenly after five years they're gonna realize i i don't know it oh for goodness sake (laughs) i think it's i think it's it really is a real thing um Mm, definitely from my my experience um so a bit of background i studied to be a vet i trained to be a vet um (laughs) I I, i did straight out of uni that had a massive life change did not want to be a vet so which is unheard of 
So when it came into the um, the technology sector, I got myself on a grad scheme. Anyway, worked my way up. By the age of 22, I became a bid manager. So um, I was managing people of all ages. I was managing um, deals of up to 10 million. Um, sole responsibility was on my shoulders. Um, and there were points at that age that I just thought like, like how have I ended up here? Like how I wanted to go and I wanted to go feel the insides of cows. <laughs> I didn't want to manage ten million pounds worth of revenue. Do you know what I mean? And there were there are several stakeholders asking me really like deep questions about how we're going to get this money in. And as a twenty two year old, I used to think I'm going to answer the best I can, but God knows how I got here. Do you know what so, I mean? So quick quick question for you on that front. What made you decide to hate animals? I don't hate animals. <laughs> I don't hate animals, don't. Let's not get off track. No, no there, there is a whole conversation about what <laughs> yeah. made you change your mind. But um, that's for a different time. But um, I, so, you know, I, I my, my age starts with a five now. Um, and it's quite scary to think that I've been, you know, working for the amount of time that I have. Um, and I think the whole imposter syndrome is very, very real. But I think probably all bar the most confident people suffer it in some form or other. And I, you know, you, Rich, you and I have had conversations about this in the past. You know, I, I sit here sometimes and I still have the same thought process of, how well, I, I don't know what to do with this how am I going to do I don't know I've never done that oh god I'm going to get into trouble for this or if I get this wrong it's going to be xyz or you know whatever it may be you have this level of, of doubt um I think it's a I think it's a human yeah thing so all levels of age and experience so now I feel completely comfortable in my role I feel like I know it fairly inside out. I know exactly what I'm doing. I almost own my own role now. Now I'm the only bid management function within the company. Mm. Um, but there comes something that someone asks me and it's a curveball and I'm like, oh, I don't know the answer to that one. Do you know what I mean? And then it's thinking, oh, God. Yeah, but you <laughs> so know how to get the answer. Yeah. And it's the same with you, Rich. It's like, you know, if, if you don't know how to deal with something, or you've not come across the technical. If it's a technical problem, you've got a whole great team of people to there. Go, go, go. Yeah. Don't know about that. Anyone help? That, if, it. it's a, if it's a sort of a, a more leadershipy type thing, mm. it's just a conversation. Now, I mean, the guy who used to be head, head of sales um, prior, he he was very high up on the uh, sort of the emotional intelligence scale. Um. And every time I went to him, I was like, I don't know what to do about this. His instant response needs to drive me out the bloody walls. Okay, well, what do you think we should do about it? It's like, yeah. I'm asking you, I need some <laughs> help here. But actually, um, yeah, you work out it was the right yeah. thing to do. It's like, well, what, what do you reckon? What's your gut tell you? Um, I think as you get older and you go through and you're more experienced in the working place, and as you said, Sophie, you get more confident in in, in what you're doing, 
that feel of not fully feeling like you're um you know you know everything you need to know you get more comfortable with that feeling and it just becomes part of your sort of daily it's just part of your working world you know it's like it's not trying to box it off and shut it away it's like you should just go yeah it's fine nagging down in my head can do one and you know actually we'll just make this decision yeah. um so I, I do think it's a i do think it's a real thing and i really wish people would talk about it much more mm. because if we normalize it and just the fact that yeah do you know i don't know it or i'm not entirely sure i know what i'm doing here but i've got people around me that i can ask and we can formulate something yeah. that's cool but it shouldn't be something where it gets to the point where it eats away at you yeah it, flip side to sophie <clears throat> i took a, a quite a, a long time to to get to to a consultancy type level of of employment um i mean i i, I went from college working in supermarkets and pushing trolleys and stuff like that into my first job in a post room and then into the IT department there part time tickets swapping out toner cartridges and printers and all that sort of stuff and then doing field service engineering, <laughs> you know, and, and that for me, I never experienced imposter syndrome at any stage throughout those early years of my career. You know, swapping components in servers and PCs and everything, you had the documents, you knew what was going to happen, you had a set method, you know, methodological way of going through and swapping pieces out and knowing what worked and what didn't. Then going into the consultancy arena um, around designs and the unknowns, you know, there's so many variables. That for me was when my imposter syndrome first started. And it was, I, I always remember just thinking, my boss is going to come to me, tap me on my shoulder and say, right, come on, back down to first line support with you. You know, no, no offense to anyone who works on first line support, but that was, what I felt as a consultant was, I cannot do this. I'm completely blagging this entirely. Um, and then moving to modality just exacerbated that. I'm, I'm coming into an organization that's got a very, very good reputation, is well known in the industry for having a lot of clever people. And and I just thought, I, I don't fit here. Um, but the, the, the saving grace for me that got me through those early months and years was the fact that I had to reach out for help. If I didn't, I was going to drown. I had to reach out for help. And the more I reached out for help, the more I saw that my colleagues were willing to go, yeah, no worries. Yeah, come on, let's have a chat about that. Let's have a look into this. Do this. You know, and I think having that support structure sort of eased my anxieties around um, my imposter syndrome. It's not gone away. I mean, I, I still look at things and I go, I haven't got a clue you know, or oh, is that really the right approach to take or, or whatever? I'm constantly doubting myself, but actually speaking about it, like Pete says, and making it the norm and actually talking about it. And to be honest with you, I, I quite vocally spoke about it at our last sort of tech day engagement where I wanted to sort of become a bit of an advocate about communicating about things like anxiety and imposter syndrome. Because I do think that if you can start talking about it, you know, it's, it's, you know, just 
making that first step to taking the jump off that bloody waterfall because once you've gone and once you've leapt that's it. it it's on its way the, the the piece of work that was so difficult to start has begun and there's no stopping it now so you've just got to make the most of it and do the best job that you can do of it because then you so, look back retrospectively and you're like yeah i did it but you're moving to the next piece of work and you still feel the bloody same <laughs> so so then there's something you said on there was you know i keep thinking oh you know i'm gonna get a tap on my shoulder from my boss so what impact does leadership and leadership style have on imposter syndrome it has a massive massive impact you you said that you know rewarding people and telling people that they've done a good job you know depending on the severity of imposter syndrome nine times out of ten the person that, that you're saying that to will just go ah oh, thanks but I'm, I'm just doing my job they don't recognize the positives and the plaudits that you give them mm. But I do think that 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 leadership in terms of are you all right, showing that support structure, actually reaching out to people and speaking to them is massive. It, it, isolation was a big one for me with with imposter syndrome because I felt that I couldn't talk about it because if I did, it would just highlight to everyone that I am a fraud. Yeah. But actually having someone who builds relationships with you and establishes trust with you, it's massively important for me um so is imposter syndrome linked to a in some way to a fear style of management fear of repercussion i would say so yeah potentially i think that's probably part of it um is you know i mean for me it was um i i got myself in a right state when i first joined modality i'm not afraid to say uh, it, you know the first few months I could quite easily say I was fearful. Um, I was fearful that, you know, my family depended on me. I was the main breadwinner, not not tooting my own horn or anything. But, you know, I was the one paying for the mortgage and the bills and everything. And if I lost this job, oh, God, what's going to happen to your family? You're going to lose your house. Yeah. Your family's going to lose you. Yeah. And it, it just generated this whole toxic cycle in my mind that I couldn't escape. And not until I actually started talking to people was I able to ease it. And like I say, it's not gone away. It's something that I still suffer with to this day, going into workshops or meetings with, with new clients and customers. I still get the jitters. I still get the butterflies and I go, do I really know what I'm talking about? When you find when you find that there is something that you just don't know, mm. does that still fill you with with anxiety or do you feel a bit more comfortable to say, look, I don't know, I'll go and find out for you? That's, that's also a very good point there, Sophie, because if I'm in a situation with whoever on a call and someone asks me a question that I genuinely don't know, my response will be, I, I don't know that. The honesty, um, and this is something that I've had reinforced in me in my entire time at Modality. If you don't know the answer, not everyone's going to know everything about everything. Just be honest and say, I'll go away and find out. And as long as you do go away and find out and by whatever means you take to actually go and get that answer, is acceptable because the person you spoke to has got the answer that's the the be all and end all of it um but i you know and that's something that i've i found relatively easy was to turn around and say i don't know but i'll go and find out for you um but it's it's just those ones where you know i've never experienced it thankfully but 
I've never been on a call where I've had to say that to every question. Yeah. <laughs> That's maybe when you've got to start looking at your position and start thinking, maybe this isn't the right job for me. <laughs> yeah. always told in interviews, if you don't know, don't lie, because they'll sniff it out. Just say exactly. you don't and I'll come back to you. But then yeah. you do agree, as you say, I don't know, I'll go and find out, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You get in a spiral, don't you? One thing exactly. Is that when you started reaching out to people, it started helping. How did you go about that? Did you literally just pick up the phone and was it nerve wracking? How did you go about that? Yeah, it, it took time um, to to actually build up the confidence to actually go and speak to people. Um, and I think it just it came naturally. Um, I'm I love building relationships and I'm a very personable person, I like to think. Um, and it just took time for those relationships to establish with inside modality. And, and my sort of mentor, for want of a better phrase at the time, um, Paul Haywood, shout out, um, mm -hmm. he very much took me under his wing. Um, and he was my my first main sort of relationship in modality. Um, and he's a very sort of uh, polarizing character to myself. He's got a lot of different strengths. And I actually think that having him as my mentor, he could point me in the direction better. He's so matter of fact, whereas I'm quite a woolly person, that he could just go, yeah, just go do this, this, this. And it was his input that that saved me a lot of times and saved me from going around that tragic anxiety cycle. He dragged me out of it, really. Um, so, I mean, I've got a lot of, of, you know, a lot of praise for Paul and a lot to be thankful for him for in those early days. But again, like I say, it's just building those relationships. But at the time, I didn't know that anyone else in modality suffered with imposter syndrome. Now, recently, over the past couple of months, the more and more that I've been speaking about it, the more and more people have come out of the woodwork and said, yeah, I, I deal with that quite a lot as well. You know, a lot of people might not even recognize symptoms of it or behaviors of it. They might be very, very mild, but... I do think it's more widespread than, than I think we care to admit. But I think the first point is that, like Pete said, is actually talking about it, getting it out there in the open. I think I think Sophie's right, though. I, I think, you know, right the way up the tree, probably most people are winging it to some perspective. Unless you've got a job that is totally process driven and you're told do this do that you do that you do this next you do so and so okay. once you take away that formulaic you know way of doing things you you introduce you know thinking on your own and i think that is probably where you're going to start getting your imposter syndrome you know it's like you said toner cartridge right i go and stick that in there over there and i close it down and my ticket's done formulaic you know yeah. can you tell me the best practices on security guidance around uh <laughs> on on endpoint manager please yeah. yeah it's it's not a yes no answer right um but i would say that that will almost certainly i know it goes up you know it, it's with me i know that much i would imagine it's probably you know right right the way up yeah um but doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong. Did you you did mention you mentioned your your family pressures probably internal. Um, did you find speaking with them helped or did it make it worse? 
Um, did you keep it? Did you keep it bottled up? I, I he's a bloke. He's kept it bottled up. Me. <laughs> I, I, I spoke to my father about it. Um, yeah. And you know, he he used to work in the industry as well, so it was something I, I think that he experienced as well. So you know, I, I do think hmm, it's difficult because the IT industry, I think, is is quite unique in its own way it's so fast-paced my dad used to say to me that you know one year in it is like 10 years in, in any other sector you know your technologies are moving that quickly and everything's advancing that fast that's very could be quite short-sighted of me around medical mm-hmm. industries and all that sort of stuff but that was the way that he used to explain it to me um and i i always found that if you spoke to someone outside of the it industry outside of the technology industry they just didn't quite get it you know the the pressures and the fast pacedness of it and you know and i think having access to a family member who worked in the same industry was a massive help um so if you've got that luxury i'd I'd definitely recommend it but i suppose with any mental health really actually talking about it is is the first thing that you need to get past yeah so cool yeah well i think we're just about at time um I think I think those have been two very good topics. I've enjoyed them. Uh, I think we could have done either of them for the full half an hour, um, but uh, you know we have people who listen to this, and we need to not uh, <laughs> not barrage them for too much. Um, so yes, so that's the last one this side of twenty one. Okay. Episode twenty one is the last one of twenty one. Hey. It's almost like it was meant to be, wasn't it? Um, but thank you very much both. Uh, Rich Tolly, uh, Solution Architect and Total Imposter. And that is Sophie Todd, who is Bid Manager for us at Modality. Um, uh, if you celebrate the festive period, have a thoroughly good one. Uh, we will be signing off over the next day or two uh, for our own festive uh, breaks. But uh, we will be back in January. Uh, and to both of you, thank you very much. Have a wonderful Christmas. And uh, we will speak soon, I doubt. Thank you. Certainly. Take it easy. This is the Mod Pod, brought to you by Modality, helping businesses optimize their Microsoft technologies everywhere.